Well, what's up, guys? Um, do me a favor and turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. And I know you're in Chronicles all the time. I'm sorry we're going back. So Second Chronicles chapter 10. It's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 10. So um, for those of you who are new, or maybe you've kind of hopped back in here, we're going through a series called The Whole Story. And the, and the thing I want you guys to get from this is, I want you to see how the whole Bible fits together, how the whole thing fits together as one total story. And so what a lot of people know about the Old Testament, the big thing with the Old Testament is Moses, and that Moses got this country called Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And there was Israel kind of in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament there's the church. So there's Israel and the church. What a lot of people don't know, though, a little rhyme there, is that in the Old Testament, Israel actually goes through a civil war, and the country splits into two different countries, and it remains two different countries for most of the Old Testament. Like when you're reading, like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jonah in, that, in his time frame, Hosea, all these other times in the Old Testament, Israel is two different countries at that point. And they don't come back together, if you even want to call it that, until towards the end of the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, that's when Israel is coming back into one country. And I, I really like nights like tonight. I enjoy, you know, every night that I get to come and share with you guys. But tonight, I really do get to do more, like, teaching. Um, I get to just kind of share with you, here's information from the Bible that you probably don't know uh, like earlier today, I told somebody, I was like, we're going to talk about Rehoboam tonight. And the student was like, I don't know what that is. Well, Rehoboam is not a that. Rehoboam is a person. So like example A, that's what we're going to talk through tonight. And, and it's his fault that Israel actually is split into two different countries. Um, and one of the ways that we know that Israel was split is that like, and you don't have to turn there now, but you'll see this in your Bible. When you go through like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, different prophets like that, it'll say that they lived during the time of so-and-so, the king of Judah. Well, it's supposed to be the king of Israel, right? Nope. In 925, and there's not going to be a quiz, so don't freak out. In 925, the kingdom of Israel split. Israel was in the north, and the kingdom of Judah was in the south. Israel originally had 12 tribes because Jacob had 12 sons. After the split, the kingdom of Israel has 10 tribes, 10 of those 12. The kingdom of Judah has two of those tribes. And the splitting of God's people was the result of another fallen king, David's grandson, Rehoboam. Now you've got David, right? David kills Goliath, all that good stuff. David's son Solomon comes next. Solomon's son Rehoboam is the one who leads Israel at first. So this is David's grandson, Rehoboam. If you're in 2 Chronicles, that is awesome. Give me a minute to catch up. So we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 10. So we're going to read verse 1, and then we'll read verses 4 and 5. So 2 Chronicles 10, verse 1, and then 4 and 5. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. So here comes Rehoboam's great moment. Israel is still one country. They're going to make him their king. Four and five. <clears throat> then the people of Israel came to Rehoboam and said, here we go, Your father made our work very hard. Therefore, lighten 
This hard service of your Father, lighten His heavy yoke which He put on us, and we will serve you. Verse 5, Rehoboam said to them, Return to me again in three days. And the people departed. So here's kind of just like spark notes of what's happened. Remember, Rehoboam's dad was this guy Solomon. Solomon has just died. Rehoboam is now king. Solomon had ended his life. Remember, Solomon's the guy who wrote Song of Solomon. And he also wrote some Proverbs. He also wrote Ecclesiastes. This guy did a great job. Was the wisest king. He does not finish well. Solomon's life at the end is consumed with all these different women, all these different religions, but he also begins obsessing over empire building, building these great buildings, building these great monuments. But this is the thing. It wasn't like in America where you can just hire a construction company out. The whole country had to take part in this. And in doing so, Solomon cost his country resources. They have to use animals to carry things. They have to use supplies to build things. And all of, and help me out, all these buildings cost what? Money. So he's taxing the country like crazy, and this creates this huge burden on the country. So they come to Rehoboam, they're under new management, and they're saying, hey, listen, if you could lighten this up, that would be awesome. I mean, this is the thing. Solomon is the new guy. The old guy, no, not so popular. All he's got to do is ease up tell a couple jokes, and they're going to love him. This is easy money. Kevin DeYoung says, all Rehoboam had to do was treat the people with a little kindness, and they would follow him. Let's see what he does. He tells them to return in three days, which automatically, now begin to see the Bible this way. Begin to look behind the text. Don't read the Bible like a newspaper. A newspaper was like a blog, but it's like, in, we'll explain it later. Don't read the, thank you, Haley Arthur. Don't read the Bible like a newspaper. Don't just read it and then turn the page to the next. Let the Bible read you. Let it impact you. Begin to dig. Ask yourself things. This is an easy decision. All he's got to do is ease up on the workload. And it tells us, he says, come back in three days. He's indecisive. He doesn't want to confidently step forward into this decision. Any Hebrew reading this can tell that something is about to go wrong. Verse 6 is where we'll pick up, 6 through 8, and then 13 and 14. So 6 through 8. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders. Elders is old people. The el- older people, sorry. King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying to the elders, how do you counsel me to answer these people? They spoke to him saying, if you will be kind to this people, and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. Verse 8, But Rehoboam disobeyed the counsel of the elders which they had given him, and he consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. 13 and 14. This is a couple days later, when they all come back after these three days. The king answered the people of Israel harshly, and King Rehoboam disobeyed the counsel of the elders, 14. He spoke according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplines you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Rehoboam, after three days, he listens to his, his boys, basically, instead of the older men who had come before him, 
And he decides to punish this people, to work this people even harder, to up the ante. You think a whip sting, like a towel whip stings, imagine getting stung by a scorpion. That's his, he's not literally like dispersing scorpions amongst the people. Like, it's, he's, I'm increasing your pain. This will be worse than it was. Now follow this. These guys were the elders. Notice, their advice is based on the people. If you look back at verse 7, he says, or the elders say, if you will serve these people, if you will be kind to these people, they will serve you. Notice, they're talking about the people. These guys know the people. They know what they'll respond to. They also lived with his father Solomon. And some of them may have even been kids when David was ruling. They were around in the glory days when Israel was the powerhouse. Under David and Solomon, Israel was the powerhouse. And Rehoboam directly ignores them. How could you not listen to these guys? For the same reason that when your parents talk to you about stuff, your parents have been driving, and this is for me too. I struggle with this, and I'm 28. But hear me. Like when I bring up parents, you get this like as a pastor, you just feel this like collective eye roll from the people of like, listen to your parents and like, okay, Bible guy, very cool. Like they don't, they don't take, like even some of you right now, it's like, oh, listen to my parents, cool, follow this. Your parents have been driving for longer than you've been alive, longer than you've been alive. But when they give you advice on driving, is it usually like, oh, thanks for that advice, Dad. Good call. They've been dating. Most, I know there's some that like it hasn't, but give me a break. Most of them have been dating for longer than you've been alive. Longer than you have been alive. But when it comes to dating advice, mom and dad's not where you go. They've owned property longer than you've been alive. But when it comes to advice on how to spend your money, Mom and dad are not the first place we go. And listen, they're not perfect. By no means am I saying that. Neither were these elders. But these elders knew about life in a way that Rehoboam needed counsel. And the family or the elders in your life are such a good place to start. The family was one of God's first inventions. Before God invented massive buildings, amazing sports, amazing books or movies, he invented the family. Follow this. Before he invented music, he invented the family. And your pride, mine too, your pride is costing you. College kids, I'm looking at you too. Your pride is costing you. Your pride that makes you roll your eyes at mom and dad's advice or, or blocks you from, maybe you don't roll your eyes, but you just, they're not where you go. You don't take them seriously. It's cutting you off from one of the most profound sources of God's grace in your life. This isn't the like, you need to listen to mom and dad. This isn't one of those things. Like, I've got the job. I don't have to impress your parents anymore. This is like biblically me saying, your family is one of the most profound sources of God's grace in your life. The only two people that you spend the most time with on the planet are yourself and your family. There's a reason for that. He's not going to put you around people that aren't important. 
before God invented music, he invented the family. Parents, again, let's go back to this because everybody loves it. Parents who have been dating for longer than you've been alive. And yet when they give advice on dating, you know, like, whatever, Dad. We met in math class and we're in love, so just back off. Well, how long have you guys known each other? Four weeks. Okay, awesome. Whatever, Dad. I can fix him. Okay, best of luck. Zero for, zero for a thousand is what the ladies are in terms of fixing him. Just FYI. But like immediately, this is how we respond when it comes to our parents giving advice. Follow this. What I'm reading to you with, with Rehoboam, it happened, give or take, about 3,000 years ago. Okay, If 3,000 years from now, someone looks back on your life where your parents have fed you some advice with things like this and you don't listen to them, they're going to look at you and be like, Are you, why didn't you just listen to them? Look at how much more experience they have. Here's why. So we've established that you need to listen to these folks. But here's why you don't. Because pride, sin, makes us fools. This is something especially important to understand. Let's talk about sin for a minute. Sin is not just this. Follow this. Sin is not just you're right with God, everything's good, then you sin, and now you're, now you're wrong with God. That does happen, but not just that. Think about it. When you do something, it affects the world, right? When you do something, it impacts the world. Well, who lives in the world? You do. So it's going to impact you as well. It's like if you start a fire in the woods and then you start coughing because of all the smoke. What you have done to the environment now affects you. The same thing happens spiritually when you sin, when you let this thing out of the cage, whether it be you tell a lie or you cheat on a test or you watch pornography or you do something else that you're not supposed to do. You're plugging that, you're putting that in the world. Now the world that you live in is more contaminated. So it will come back on you. And I harp on this a lot, so let me just harp on it again. This is part of another reason that pornography is not this like victimless crime where it's just you and your phone or you and your laptop, so don't worry about it. When you watch this thing, when you click on this thing, that's another encouragement for these people to keep making these things. Does that make sense? If they didn't watch it, they wouldn't make it. But since you have plugged this with another like or another hit, they're going to keep making it. So now you're going to keep being tempted. And then when you try to finally let go of this thing, you're going to have a lot, a lot of trouble because you're surrounded by it. And you're surrounded by it because people keep clicking on it, so they're going to keep making it. You have contaminated the environment around you, and it affects you. And the effect that I'm particularly talking about is sin doesn't just separate you from God. It darkens your understanding. It darkens your eyes. It's like this. Rehoboam was prideful. And that pride did not just make him a smart guy who was prideful. It made him a smart guy who was getting more and more foolish because of his pride. His sin was having an effect on him. Giving in to lust will make you more lustful. Lying will make it easier to lie again and again. 
And it's not just because, well, that's the way it is. It's because it has a rebound effect on your soul. Cheating this one time will make you cheat again. And here, here's an example. I was talking, I can't remember who it was. I don't think it was anybody in here. I was talking to somebody about college today. And, the re- and here's what happens. Students, oh, it's Brooke. The reason students fail out of college nine times out of ten is not because they went to Highlands and the work was too hard or they went to Dartmouth and the work was too hard. Not that those are two different schools. You get what I'm saying? But here's, here's the issue. This is what happens when students fail out of college. They, they skip one day of classes. They do. They skip one day, and here's what happens. Nothing. Mom doesn't call them. Their professor doesn't email them. Nothing happens. Nobody cares. You could skip all you want. And they, and they say, well, if I can miss Tuesday, maybe I can miss Wednesday, and I'll be okay. And so they, like, step into Wednesday, and they don't go to class, and nothing happens. And then they step into Thursday. And it gets easy to skip. You missed last Tuesday. Why don't you just skip this Tuesday? You're not doing anything. And so you continue to skip, and you get so far behind. It's not that you couldn't do it. It's that you, if, if you give in to this one, it's easier to give in to the next and the next one. Because when you give in to this sin, it rebounds and affects your own soul. You follow me on this? This is why this happens. It darkens your own. You get worse as you go with sin. Here's the people's response to Rehoboam. Look at verse 16. 16 of chapter 10. When all of Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered Rehoboam, saying, What portion do we have with David? This is his family. We have no inheritance of the son of Jesse. Every man to your own tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So all of Israel departed. This is why that's kind of like a, ugh, it doesn't sound like it. Um, for years, these people have been building Solomon's houses, Solomon's property. And now they're saying, take care of your own house, David. Take care of your own stuff. They have left. They have revolted against Rehoboam. 17. And when I find it, we'll read it. There we go. But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam Ruled over him. 18. Then Rehoboam sent Hadarim, who was over the forced labor, labor, and the sons of Israel stoned him to death. So Rehoboam, here's where we begin to see the seed of this split. Rehoboam has lost control in every place except for Judah. But then we see Rehoboam's foolishness growing even more. They're upset about their forced labor. That's why they're all so mad. So to negotiate with them, Rehoboam sends the head of their forced labor. This is the last guy that they want to see. And so they kill him. Again, his foolishness, his pride is corrupting his brain. Look at 11, 1 through 5. Look at how Rehoboam's prideful heart changes. And here's where we begin to see the mercy of God at work. 11, 1 through 5. Now when Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel to restore Rehoboam. Let's take a break right there. Here's the split. This is where it begins. Remember, the tribe of Judah is Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin was a smaller tribe. It just got absorbed into Judah. That's why the country is called Judah. 
And they're fighting against the other ten tribes of Israel. The place has begun to split. Now, later on, as I keep reading, and this is important, as I keep reading, you're going to hear Judah called Israel. Okay? He's talking about Judah, but they're going to call it Israel. Here's why that is. It's to show us that this split is happening slowly and painfully. There's still one family, but they're being split into two kingdoms. And they're not used to having different names yet. This wasn't easy. So read, let's read four and five, uh, 2 through 5. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the prophet of God, saying, Tell Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, saying, verse 4, Thus says the Lord, Do not go up and fight against your relatives. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned from going against Jerusalem. Verse 5, Rehoboam lived in Jerusalem and built cities for his defense in Judah. Rehoboam is licking his chops. The people revolted. He got beat. So he's been humbled. And he does something amazing in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives. Every man to his house, for this is of the Lord. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned. He listened to God. Would have been awesome, like 30 minutes earlier. Stay out of this. And so he stays there. When he was new, when he was this new hotshot king, he didn't have room for God. Now he's been brought down a peg, which is actually a good thing, because for the moment, they have a king that's listening to God. But then he grows stronger and falls away from God again. Look at 12.1. 12.1. When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, he and all Israel, remember that's Judah, he and all Israel with him disobeyed the law of the Lord. So he's brought down a peg and he listens to God. And then when he gets his strength built up again, he doesn't have room for God anymore. All of a sudden there's no time for God. Strength comes with disobedience for Rehoboam. And listen, it's not, it's not a coincidence that these two things are together. With Judah fortified, with Rehoboam's reputation built back up, he fades away from God. And we do this all the time. Let me give you an example here. Single people. A lot of single people love Jesus. I'm dating Jesus right now. He's a little out of your league, but I'm, I'm proud of you. You're doing fine. Just kidding. Well, not, well, I guess not really. He's Jesus. He is out. Sorry. No disrespect. But a lot of single people love Jesus. Quiet times are heavy. Post about it on social media all the time so you know it's real. Asking for books from me, sticking after to talk about the sermons, dropping by my office, staying late to talk through different points, going through different studies on their own. And listen, dating people do this too. I'm not bashing relationships, and we'll get to more of that in a second here. But then, and, and it happens every year, and I'm just sitting here, like, like, just watching, and every year this happens. They get a boyfriend, or they get a girlfriend, 
And what happens? Bye. They're gone. We don't talk as much. They're here, but they're not here. They're not as hungry as they used to be. Why not? Because your heart's gotten what it really wanted all along. You're good. You don't need God anymore. You're in a relationship. And it doesn't have to be relationships. Look at summertime, right? Summertime comes, you're excited about God, you're pursuing holiness, you're hungry for His Word. Every morning at camp, you're diving into it. You got your journal and Bible and all that crazy, whatever you kids are into, and everything's cool, and you're, you're in it. You're having great discussions about it. You're not just reading, you're acting this out. But then school comes back. People come back into your life. Camp is over. And instead of spending time in the Word, Instagram becomes a lot more convenient. You find yourself getting angry at your parents again when in the summer you guys were doing good. You were following the Lord. But all this stuff has come back into your life. And God's not really as important anymore. Your pride has grown back. Rehoboam's name is a lot different than ours, but his heart is exactly the same. Look at what happens to him. Look at 12, 2 through 7. 2 through 7. And it came about in King Rehoboam's fifth year, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. And the people who came with him from Egypt were without number. All the Ethiopians were with him. Verse 4. He captured the fortified city of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Then... Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the princes of Judah who had gathered at Jerusalem because of the king of Egypt. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have disobeyed me, so I have forsaken you to the king of Egypt. Verse 6. So the princes of Israel, that's Judah, and the king, Rehoboam, humbled themselves and said, The Lord is mighty and righteous. Verse 7. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, so I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some measure of deliverance, and my wrath will not be poured out against Jerusalem by the king of Egypt. God sees Israel, God sees Judah growing in strength, and so they grow away from him. All these things come into our lives, and those things are not the problem. We are the problem. We take them and we put them in God's place. And so now we start to forget about God. And so God sends Egypt to Judah. God humbles his people and they return. Verse 6 and 7. They return back to him. Pride, our pride, keeps us away from God. Relationships are not the problem. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing to date somebody. Summertime is not the problem. Amen? Summer is awesome. We're the problem. Our prideful hearts are the problem. It's not school. It's not relationships. It's pride. As Christians, here's kind of the second kind of takeaway. The first one was kind of listen to those who are older than you. The second one, as Christians, weakness is God's way of knocking at the door. Weakness is God's way of knocking at the door. Rehoboam strengthened Judah and he left God. 
Then when he was weakened, he turned back to God. It happened in 11.4 when the the Israelites revolted against him and he listened to the Lord when he said, don't go fight them. And now it's happening again. If you're you're writing anything in the margins, you need to write down Matthew 19.24. And you know this verse. Matthew 19.24 says, It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know how hard it is to get a camel through the eye? It's literally impossible. And that's Christ's point. A rich man, you can swap that word for pride. Pride keeps us from God. And Rehoboam is living this out. When God, here it is. Now follow me here, and then you can tune back out. When God weakens us or humbles us, he's actually smoothing the road to get to him. When God weakens us or humbles us, he's actually smoothing the road for us to get to him. Think about being humbled, right? Think about a time in your life when you've been humbled, when you miss the big shot or you screw up in front of your friends, or your whole reputation is, is messed up, and they kind of get a front row seat to your failure. Or when you really messed up with, with like driving or something, that's happened, not here, right? When you really messed up and learned your lesson with something to do with that, right? Would you, but listen to me though, like when you get a dent in your car, or when you like mess up something house sitting, or something like that, and you really kind of have learned this lesson, follow me. Would you believe me if I told you that in that very moment when you were really smacked with something and you've been humbled, would you believe me if I told you that that was God working on you, cutting into you? Yes, it, does, it hurts. Cutting into you, but not cutting like a torturer, cutting like a surgeon, doing a work in your heart. Because here's the thing, pride is like a tumor in you. It restricts your spiritual blood flow. It cuts you off from your family. It cuts you off from the Bible. It cuts you off from acting things out in the Bible. It leaves you content with everything except worshiping God. You're suffocating. Look at me. You're suffocating, and you don't know it. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. You don't know it's there. Because here's the issue. I wonder how many of you have been thinking about pride and you think, that sounds just like so-and-so. Like you're putting it with another person, not even yourself. This is what pride does. And in total mercy, God turns his face towards you. You don't deserve, I don't deserve him. We can't do anything because our body is totally constricted with so much pride. It's spread all over our soul. But in his great mercy, he sends Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit, and he works with them on you. He brings you into contact with people. He brings you into contact with experiences that humble you. Think about the last time you were really humbled, when something happened that you really learned from. You didn't just like get up and start like, Sprint high five. God is working in my life. Like you didn't do that. You didn't celebrate. You may have had to spend some time in your room because you were upset when you were humbled. You may have had to leave your friend's house early. You may have like gone home and journaled about it or just listened to music because you couldn't process everything that was happening to you. It knocked you off your feet. 
the exact same way as when you have a major surgery and you have to spend the night in the hospital because that surgery has knocked you off your feet. You see? Getting humbled. He's not trying to hurt you. It's surgery. God is working on us in mercy when he humbles us. Pride makes it so hard for us to get to God. It's too tough of a trip. It's too rocky. But when he humbles us, he is smoothing the road, removing all those things that are blocking us from him. Learn from Rehoboam. It cost him his country. And Israel will never be the same. Even into Jesus' day, Israel was united. But remember, the Romans ruled Israel at that time in Jesus' day. Why was it so easy for Rome to take over Israel? Because they were a split kingdom that was hobbling back together. Some of you may, maybe are going through things that are humbling you right now. Maybe, you're, maybe it's a bad breakup. Maybe it's a tough season of singleness. Maybe you're about to graduate and you don't know what to do. Maybe you're in a tough season in a relationship. Or maybe things are good. Maybe you're doing fine. Don't let prosperity blind you. It's not prosperity's fault. There's nothing wrong with good times. We're the problem. We take good times and we turn them into God. That's our problem. We need his merciful surgery. We need him to keep us close to him in the good times. And we need him to use the bad times to bring us closer. Let's pray.